Understanding of where you stand in the title picture. What happens next for Marvin Hagler? Right now I'm moving up to my manager and trainer and attorney. Whoever they say I fight, I'll fight. I like to stay busy and stay right on top of my game. Fight some of the best contenders that they have out there today. And just to stay sharp for Vito Antifomio. I want him again. Well, he's got to get by Alan Minner, of course. That's his uh, first uh, title defense after the one against you. And it may be that you'll have one or two more fights. Is that what you're saying before the title shot? That's right. I'm going to stay busy. Since I had an easy night tonight, I'm going right back in the gym and keep working. Okay, Marvin, good luck to you. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back here at the Portland Civic Center in Portland, Maine, in just a Marvin Camel, the the first cruiserweight champion of the world, the WBC, and I, it's been a pleasure talking with you at the Zoot uh, Boxing Channel. And I tell you, I'll be here, and I appreciate your listening to me, Marvin Camel, two-time cruiserweight champion of the world. Thank you. All righty, everybody. Welcome to Zoot's Boxing Talk, the boxing show where we bring you sweet science straight up with no twist. And how's everybody doing out there this evening, Wednesday, December 7th, 2022, Pearl Harbor Day. And we started this show by hearing one Hall of Famer talk to another. That's right. Yes, the Boxing Hall of Fame class was announced. The International Boxing Hall of Fame class was announced. So we'll spend some time on that. A little bit later on, we're going to speak with boxer Liana Cruz. But let's talk about that Boxing Hall of Fame class. And indeed, Tim Ryan, the man you heard talking to the marvelous one, will be inducted. He, along with Seth Abraham, are part of the participant category winners. And the modern boxers, Rafael Marquez, Timothy Bradley Jr., and Carl Frotch, a bit of a surprise, I would say. Female fighters, Alicia Ashley and Laura Serrano. Then you have uh, Brad Jacobs, Brad Goodman, and Joe Goosen, as well as, in here, I think I just missed, no. Non-participant category, 
is Brad Jacobs, Brad Goodman, and Joe Goosen. And Seth Abraham and Tim Ryman are in the observer category. So yep, I, I screw that one up. So let's recap it again. Uh, and the, the, mo- the modern guys, you got the female fighters, Alicia Ashley, Laura Serrano. And then the uh, all-timers, Tiger Jack Fox and flyweight champion Pone Kinpich from Thailand make up the Hall of Fame class. Many, many surprises, but we're going to refrain from a Boxing Hall of Fame discussion until next Wednesday's show. I'm working on some guests. We're going to have some of our rotation guys back to talk about that uh, as well. But uh, continuing with the Hall of Fame theme, we lost a member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. And for many people, he was a little guy, but he was a giant. Mills Lane, the referee, passes away. And all the accolades are pouring in, the tributes. And he's you know put, put, put himself on the map, did so many championship fights and created the let's get it on, right? That that was a big one for boxing people. When he got the the fighters in the center of the ring, you could just hear that voice. This is for the big, I remember with the homeschooling, but this is for the big championship of the world, right? And let's get it on. So I'm going to take some time to talk about Mills before we get into the big uh, boxing action and I I have mixed feelings about the whole let's get it on thing I always did while I thought it was great in and of itself and Mills was genuine in doing it and it was great to get everybody pumped up I think that started the chain of this grandiose stuff by the referees right I mean Arthur Mercanti Jr. Jack Reese, all of these guys now are very grandiose. They want to be as much a part of the fight as the fighters themselves. They want to be the celebrities. Joe Cortez even went so far as to say, make up his own one. I'm fair, but I'm firm. And all all due respect to Joe, he actually uh, talked to me for the Tough Man Greg Haugen book. But uh, I always thought those guys were a little bit more manufactured and kind of got in the way of things and I don't think it's an accident that you could uh, if you are realistic if you are looking at it through a critical lens Cortez Reese, Mercanti Jr. all have made more than their fair share of blunders as referees we're not going to spend time on it now but I would be glad to spend time on it uh, any time I mean if you ever watch fights from Thailand or from anywhere overseas, especially in the far, the far east, uh, these referees are practically invisible, and they do their job just as effectively, probably better. And they, there's nothing grandiose about them. They don't have to be the center of attention. And I think a lot of that came from how successful Mills was. But Mills was natural at it. These guys seem more manufactured and phony about it. I'm sorry. That's just the way I see it. As far as Mills as a referee, certainly you could uh, talk about the many, many different championship fights that he did. But I'm going to talk about just a couple here. uh, And no secret that I'm going to cite a couple of fights that he refereed 
for you know the marvelous one, marvelous Marvin Hagler. And since I'm in a Hall of Fame mood and I'm missing the marvelous one, let's hear it. Let's hear this now before we go on. Referee Richard Steele stops about at two minutes, one second of the third round. The winner by a TKO and still undisputed middleweight champion of the world, marvelous Marvin Hesler. Yes, and indeed, Richard Steele is another one I think you could put into that category of he developed this grandiose style, wanted to be a celebrity as he was a referee, and he certainly made his fair share of blunders. I mean, almost cost Donnie Lalonde his life. For Christ's sake. But, let's go back to Mills Lane. So, the first fight I want to talk about, one of the one of the early fights, and I think this was before the, actually, I'm pretty positive. Does that even make sense? Pretty positive. But uh, before the Let's Get It On moniker, the First time marvelous Marvin Hagler stepped in the ring for a championship fight against Vito Antoforfermo in 1979, November 30th, 1979. We highlighted, ironically enough, that fight last week on the This State in Boxing History segment. And Mills Lane was indeed the referee. And one of the things I remember reading as uh, he was getting the, the fighters in the center of the ring when the decision was made the story was was is told and I'm pretty sure I read this in a boxing magazine that he said to Marvin now stand, I want you to stand over here so I'm able to raise your hand when the decision is read because Lane as a referee even though he didn't have a scoring uh, official scorecard in the fight felt that Marvin won just like most everybody else except for a couple of judges so I remember that pretty well and uh I don't know if that was the first championship fight that Mills Lane did in 1979, but certainly was one of the first, if it was not the first. Uh, and then years later, he didn't really ref. I don't think he refereed any other fights with Hagler up until the 1986 showdown with John the Beast Mugabe. And uh, that was an interesting uh, fight and Hagler and his Hagler's people were not happy with Mr. Lane and how he refereed that fight. He in uh, the beginning of round six, when uh, Hagler was lacing up Mugambi, he he stopped the action to warn Hagler to keep his punches up. And now the, the punches were pretty; they weren't ridiculously low. They were about a run on the belt. You could technically say they were low blows, but is it appropriate to break up the action at that time? Were those low blows that that much of a factor or that intentional? It didn't seem to be, but if you're a referee, you have every right to make that case. But Hagler uh, certainly didn't like it. His fans certainly didn't like it. His camp certainly didn't like it. And to make matters worse, a few rounds down the line, he took he took a point away from Hagler for a low blow. So Hagler, as a subsequently with the next big fight being the the Ray Leonard super fight, Hagler wanted nothing to do with Mills Lane as a referee. So instead, they get the boob Richard Steele, and he did a terrible job 
in terms of letting Leonard get away with so much dirty stuff. So I don't know if uh, Mills Lane was right or wrong or if Hagler had a decent gripe for the Mugabe fight. But one thing I'm pretty confident in saying is I don't think Lane would have let Leonard get away with all the garbage, all the low blows, all the hitting after the belt, all the holding and hitting. I certainly don't think it would have went the same way without any penalties if Mills was in that ring. And just a little sidestep, ironically enough. Uh, so the, the, in that fight, and I, I guess I always talk about this fight, I can't let it go. In that fight, Hagler conceded to Leonard just about everything, right? And how funny is it that the two things that he put his foot down cost him? He put his foot down on Mill Mills Lane, and he put his foot down on not wanting the British judge Harry Gibbs and wanting Jojo Gara. I don't have to continue to talk about why that was a bad decision. And in case you didn't know it, supposedly... Harry Gibbs of England, who was, who was the referee that was knocked out by the Hagler people, said he scored the fight for Hagler 115-113. I don't know if he was just saying that out of spite or that was genuine. I mean, it was a correct scorecard, but uh, who knows? Who knows? But uh, the big one that everybody talks about with Lane is the Tyson-Holyfield earbite fight. And that one is interesting. If you look at it and you go back and you remember what happened, you know, Mills Lane, if his word was, it, his word was the go, so to speak. If he was the authoritative figure, his word was the end of it. He would have saved Holyfield the second bite. After the first bite, Lane wanted to disqualify Tyson immediately, if you remember. And he was kind of talked out of it because uh, who wants to end that fight, right? It's a big fight. And, uh, you know, one of the Tyson's thought it was coming on at the time of the year by two. Another, something else that uh, people don't really uh, talk about. But the, the first year by was the more vicious one. It's the one that really got the chunk of Holyfield's ear. Lane saw the bite marks and he wanted to disqualify him immediately. And they, they were talk, I think it was uh, Ratner who was talking to him. Uh, the UFC, he does stuff with the UFC now. At the time, he was the Vegas commission uh, commissioner. And he was like, something to the effect, like, are you sure that's what you want to do? He's like, hey, he bit him. I could see the ear marks, the, the, ear, the bite marks on his ear. And instead of disqualifying him, he took away a couple of points. And to me, this is the classic Mills Lane. Everybody talks about let's get it on, all that other stuff. To me, this is the Mills Lane moment that I remember the most. He goes over to Tyson, and before he even says what's happening, Tyson, because uh, Holyfield's ear was bleeding pretty badly, uh, he goes, that was a punch. Mills Lane goes, bullshit. And then he goes on and tells him what's happening. He goes, lose a couple of points. Above. And, of course, Tyson bit Holyfield for a second time and that time there's no forgiving that then the disqualification ensued and then he also uh, was the referee for the Tyson Ruddick fight going back a little bit and that fight had a whole lot of 
extracurricular and points taken away and all of that. Uh, the second fight, not the first fight. The first fight is when that boob steal stopped it too early. The first, the second fight, and it was when uh, Roddick finally retaliated and hit uh, Tyson with a blatant low blow. Lane stopped the action and said, but you cut that shit out now or something to that effect. And I remember Bertie Pacheco. Sorry, Ron Christian. Bertie Pacheco did not make the Hall of Fame. I know Ron was pulling for him. That is that, that that's that's the language used by a judge or something. And I think Mills Lane even had a TV show for a little while as a judge. Never watched it, but I'm pretty sure that was uh, reality. So Mills Lane. Thank you for the memories. Let's take a moment of silence. You will be missed. So let's talk now about the boxing action, switching gears. I want to talk first about the Pro Box TV car that was on Friday night. The headliner was uh, Brandon Glatton and uh, Light. For the so for a, a important cruiserweight showdown, two top-rated cruiserweights going at it, and I had told everybody in my article for topclassboxing.co.uk that this was one of the treats of December. This is a nice appetizer for you to enjoy. Did you listen to me? Did you watch the fight? Well, if you did, you also saw a pretty good undercard. So let's talk about the undercard first. We saw Calvin Davis against Jalen Hill in a super lightweight uh, showdown. And uh, Davis is a southpaw. Hill was a switch, soon switched. He was switching. He came out as a righty and was switching. And, uh, you know, Davis got the action going in the third round when he dropped Hill with a left to the side of the head. Hill held on, and Davis, it was interesting, right? What would Mills Lane have done here when Hill was holding on, which is, you know, if you're hurt and you want to get your legs back, you often see this. But what Davis did was he took his head and mushed it in, like, Hill's face and, and pushed him back against the ropes. So, you know, Davis was doing what anything that he could to get loose and uh, deliver the finishing blows. Finishing blows did not come in that third round, however. And then uh, a clash of heads caused a cut on Davis's eye. So, you know, we've got an interesting thing. Hill now surviving, survived the knockdown. We have a fighter who's cut. What's going to happen? But it ended abruptly as in the fourth round, Hill went down on his own accord from an apparent left arm injury. And uh, Mike Goldberg and Paulie Malinaji, especially, who called the action for Pro Box TV, did not think that the, the injury was legitimate. Malinaji basically said he thought he was just looking for a way out. And then in a super lightweight fight, this was kind of an upset. Uh, the young uh, prospect, Josiah Shirley, loses to Muhammad, the black buffalo. Samaro, this was a good action fight. Uh, I mean, did the entire fight, Shirley could not get out of the way of Samaro's power shots, especially that right hand. But Shirley showed some of his own offensive moments. It's just not as many as the Black Buffalo. This is all action, punches thrown. And most of the time, it was the Black Buffalo starting and finishing. And throughout the fight, he was landing the hardest shots. It does go to distance, the six-round distance, peered like 
Samara did more than enough to get the victory, but this is boxing, and you always have to hold your breath when those scorecards are read. But this time, they got it right, 60 to 54, 58, 56, and 59, 55, all for Samara. Then in a junior middleweight showdown, Madial Sanchez takes on Marquise Valley Sanchez was uh, a southpaw, and this is interesting as the referee stopped the fight from excessive holding for Valet, from Valet. And if you're still thinking of Mills Lane, you're thinking of what was it, Henry Akinwande against Lennox Lewis, where Mills could not get it going in terms of stopping the clinching by Akinwande. And then we had the big main event, Brandon Glanton versus David Light. And it was everything that it was advertised to be. For those who were paying attention, they got themselves a treat. And I did take, this is the only fight of the weekend I took the time to sit down and watch with my scores. I wrote down the scorecards. And there were, uh, it was not an easy fight to score, as Mal and Audrey kept saying. So uh, the first round, I gave Light the edge. Light was getting uh, good combinations off, but he was also leading with that shoulder. You you could see Light had uh, a lot of experience, and he was crafty, trying to see what he could get away with. In round two, Glanton got off to a better start. Light had a good second half, but Glanton closed it well with some power shots, so I scored round two for Glanton. Round three was close. It was a close round, light a little bit more accurate and creative. I thought he was a little bit more creative with the punches he was putting together, and I scored round three for light, but I marked that as a very serious swing round. I would have no problem if with anybody telling me Glanton won that third round. Round four, Glanton appeared to do more damage, and there was a late punch at the bell, but nothing in terms of uh, points taken away. So round four, I thought was an easy round to score for Glanton. And round five, I thought was an easy round to score for Light. And Glanton appeared to be tiring at the end of round five. Round six was another one of those swing rounds, but I gave it to Glanton. I thought Glanton had a slight edge. He landed some good right uppercuts, and I thought that edged him that round. Round seven, light won most of the round. Glanton appeared to be hurt right at the end of the round, and it was a, I thought that was a clear round for light. Eight and nine were once again swing rounds. I gave a slight edge to light in eight, and uh, Glanton got off to a fast start at nine, and I thought he had the better power shot, so I gave him that round. Uh, and then in round 10, what you might have expected to happen if you were expecting Glanton to win finally happened. Glanton smothered light across the ro- along the ropes, got some good short little power shots in, hurt light and dropped them. And he looked like light looked like he was seriously hurt. He dominated the round. Light got up and survived, but it was a clear 10-8 round for Glanton, which gave Glanton the edge on my scorecard, 95-94. But uh, the scorecard, the official scorecards 
Uh, one judge had it the same way as I did, 95, 94, for granted. One judge had the exact same score, but in favor of white. And the deciding card was a little bit wider. Wider. I said it right? For David Light, 97, 92. So Light was probably an underdog. And he got the victory. And all the fans who tuned in won. So, I mean, it wasn't a bad fight on the card, except for the one with the excessive holding. And we saw the Black Buffalo upset the young prospect, Shirley. So, Probox TV is upping the ante for 2023. They're going to have a lot more cards on at the beginning of the year. And they're going to be on Wednesday nights. So, I'm like, ah. How are people going to tune in and watch Pro Box TV when they're all, we all know what they do on Wednesday nights? That's right. They tune into Zoot's Boxing Talk on Wednesday nights. How in the world is Pro Box TV think they're going to get any ratings while Zoot's Boxing Talk is on Wednesday nights? Are you out of your fucking mind? I think so, female Senior. I think so. Well, so I, I realize where my place is on the food chain, and I enjoy ProBox TV immensely, so I will be moving in 2023 Zoots Boxing Talk to Thursday nights, I think, so I can sit down and watch ProBox TV on Wednesdays. I'm definitely going to move the time slot. I think Thursdays is the right time, but that could change. And if you haven't watched ProBox, TV yet. You should get it. It's not really that expensive. I think it's less than 15 bucks a year. You pay for the whole year. You get all the cards. Uh, primarily, your announcers are Mike Goldberg and Paulie Malinaji. Sometimes Roy Jones Jr. fills in for Malinaji. The woman Malinaji is there. Mike Goldberg has the easiest job in America. He just has to say a couple of words, and Paulie Malinaji takes over. He does not stop talking from start to finish. He will take on the blow-by-blow. Blow. He will take on the color. He will take on the, the, the heavy voice in between rounds. Mike Goldberg has to say very, very little. And, you know, for the most part, Malinaji is, you know, he, knows what he's talking about obviously he did it as a pro he knows more than most people and most of the time if you can keep up with him because he talks so damn fast if you can keep up with him he, he gives you sound and sound information not the kind of telecast i like necessarily because as i alluded to when i watched the british uh boxing telecast i prefer stick to a blow by blow guy Sticking to the action that's happening in the ring. You're not going to get that with Malinaji, but you'll get a whole host of useful information. It, like, you, like I said, if you could keep up with it. So the boxing weekend got off to a fantastic start. Uh, now let's go and move forward to the other uh, events. So... We had a couple of big cards, no doubt. Let's talk about the, because uh, it had, well, let's do it in chronological order. Let's talk about the Fury Chisora card, uh, which was on ESPN Plus. 
And as typical when these cards start from uh, from the UK, you get you get the UK broadcast first, and I always like that better. I talked about why on a number of occasions. No reason to do it again. So let's break down uh, this card. The early Christmas present from Hall of Fame boxing promoter Bob Arum. We got to make sure we say that right. So started off with uh, the good-looking super featherweight who was three and zero going in. Rostin Barney Smith taking out Cruz Perez in easy fashion. And that was a, a, a classic, uh, you know, build-up fight just to you know make. Barney Smith looked good and get out of there, but he is a good-looking super featherweight. You just don't know what you're going to get from him until he steps up in competition. Uh, well, I'm not going to go through every fight. Let's go fast forward. Carol Itama stops Vladimir Majewski in the eighth round of a light heavyweight fight. Uh, Itama is another guy going 8-0, looks pretty good. You want to see more of him. It's a pretty good fight. Vladimir showed a lot of resistance, made him work, extended him. So, you know, Tom is at, at the point now where he's getting built up where you want to see what he could do when an opponent extends him. And we got to see that stops his opponent in the eighth round. Dennis Berenchik wins a 12-round decision against Evan Mendy. Uh, Berenchik 6-0 and uh, Lightweight uh, This fight wasn't really all that uh, Exciting Thrilling If Zach Familio was on here He would call it agony You know if you like one of those moments When you're laying on the couch One moment and you're trying to figure out Why this fight is worth your time And the next minute You find yourself getting a beautiful Power nap then this fight was worth it. Otherwise, it wasn't really all that exciting. But a good stepping stone for Berenchik. He gets in 12 good rounds. For, so for him, it's good. But sometimes that doesn't equate to an exciting 12 rounds. And that's what we got there. The co-feature in the heavyweight division, Kevin Lorena gets Daniel Dubois in trouble. In the first round, the Bois was knocked down three times in the first round. And, of course, after his failure to Joe Joyce, we're thinking bust, right? What's with this Daniel Dubois? Why, if he gets stopped in the first round of his fight, what's his future going to be like? Well, he escaped that question as he came back and stopped his opponent. But what Lorena gets stopped in the third round. But what in the world are we to make of Daniel Dubois? I can't imagine them matching up Dubois with Fury next. I wouldn't put Dubois in there with anybody with any kind of power. But he's going to have to fight somebody. We'll see. And then the main event, the Christmas present, the trilogy now complete, Tyson Fury versus Derek Chisora. 
And what, what could you say about this fight? It wasn't a good fight. It wasn't a competitive fight. Uh, not many pluses for me. It was really, though, I'm like so over Tyson Fury. Can I be the only one who's so over Tyson Fury? I mean, by this point in the telecast is when the ESPN announcers take over and Joe Tessitore was lathering up Tyson Fury so badly. I mean, anybody who has a problem with foreplay should take a lesson into what Joe Tessitore was doing, the way he was talking up Tyson Fury. He did everything but take the guy to bed for crying out loud. And it was, to me, it was an ugly fight to watch. There was no reason for the fight in the first place. Chistara didn't win either of the first two fights, and I get it. Fury wanted to stay busy after saying he retired. So this guy never knows if he's coming or going anyway. And apparently Chisora was the only name that was there. You put, as Zach said last week, you, th- you put two Brits together and it's going to sell regardless. But there's... A- Looking at it, I mean, you know, Fury won. He does way too much holding for my liking and gets away, he gets away with it way too much. He's a big, huge guy. He's got the belly all over the place. And he does a good job of putting – he doesn't. He's, he has improved in terms of working off the jab and landing good punches from distance. I'm not going to deny that, but still way too much holding. I mean, I'm envisioning a Usyk fight, and I'm really worried how that fight's going to go. I, I, I don't know if Usyk can can get much done if all he's going to do, Fury, is land from distance and then grab his opponent and smother him. I mean, how do you counter that unless you're the same size? If anybody's going to figure it out, it's Usyk, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's, he's a t- he is a pain in the ass to fight. But he's not that aesthetically pleasing. I'm sorry. I mean, way too much holding. And all, all Chisora was doing was coming forward and wailing away with the right hand. It wasn't like it, it was a hard game plan to solve if you're Tyson Fury. And Chisora, to his credit, lasted, took the punishment, and even landed on occasions with the power shot. But he was never going to beat Tyson Fury. And that's why they had no problem making that fight. And then you get the whole uh, bells and whistles, song and dance, whatever you want to call it, with uh, Usyk afterwards. And let's just hope that that fight gets made. I mean, we, we got to see it. And even I, if Tyson Fury can dominate or just win convincingly against the Usyk where he doesn't just hold and lean and put all his uh, all of his 300 pounds on his opponent if he can win in better if he can win in legitimate fashion even I would give him the credit but let's get the fight can we get the fight made first I mean this guy's already talking about Wilder 4 
yeah, he's talking about Usyk, but he's talking about Wilder 4 as well. So that tells me, he's like, all right, if Usyk happens, it happens. If not, I'm moving on. I mean, they got to do everything they can to get this fight made. Right? Hopefully 2023 is the year of the fights we want to see. Got off to a good start with the tentative news of Tank and Ryan. We'll see. I'm seeing conflicting reports about Lomachenko and Haney, but you hope that that fight gets made. And if we can get Fury Usyk 3 on paper, we have three fights slated for the year. Hopefully all, hopefully all in the first quarter, Tank is fighting uh, Garcia in January. And then hopefully before April, he'll fight Ryan if everything goes well. Boxing fans would have very little to piss and moan about if we could get those three fights. Obviously, we want more and we deserve more. But if we get those three fights... And you're still complaining that nobody fights each other. You're just uh, on a mission to be a miserable, to complain about everything. But I don't know. It seems like when it comes to Tyson Fury, unless it's Deontay Wilder, it's a circus to get him in there with the big names. Could never get the Joshua fight done. Even after Joshua lost, couldn't get that fight done. And Usyk, uh, I don't know, uh, up until recently, Fury didn't even seem interested in Usyk. So we'll see what happens. Let's hope. Let's hope. And we had another trilogy later that evening. On Dazone. And unlike the first trilogy, this one was the rubber match. Although a lot of people thought that it was a bogus rubber match because many people thought that Chocolatito won the second fight. Some people thought Estrada won, and nevertheless, it was a rubber match. And we got ourselves a pretty good card all around. Let's talk a little bit about the undercard stuff first. Uh, Beatrice Ferreira, good-looking uh, female fighter on uh, just starting out, takes out Paris Brown in the second round. It was all Ferrero, all vicious punching, power shots, something you don't necessarily see in female fights on a regular. A lot of it has to do with the two-minute round. You certainly get a lot of action, but you don't get a lot of stoppages. And Austin Ammo Williams goes 10 rounds, looking good against a fellow undefeated fighter in Simon Madsen. Uh, I, I really like the way Williams' offensive output was in that fight. Then you had Diego Pacheco, super middleweight prospect, uh, stopping Ricardo Luna in two rounds. Interesting uh fight there and uh, we definitely want to keep seeing more of Mr. Pacheco do we not? I don't know, do we? Uh, this, we had a fight that went the distance. Christopher Rosales uh, defeats 
Josecito Velasquez in a 10-round decision. This is a fight where the B-side, Rosales, won. Josecito Velasquez was going into the fight undefeated. This was considered a step-up fight for Velasquez. This was a fight that wasn't originally on the main card of the zone. If you don't have that zone and don't know what I'm talking about, the, the way that zone operates now is they have the undercard fights on a stream called Before the Bell, and the preliminary fights are on there. And then you have to go over to the main stream and the main card, so to speak. And there's usually three or four fights on there. It's kind of a weird dynamic because it's all on the same stream. It's not like, you know, I I could see why they do it for pay-per-view. The UFC would do this all the time where they have their preliminary cards, sometimes free on ESPN, but sometimes on ESPN Plus only. And then you have to go to the main card, but you're paying more for that. Why Dazone does it that way? And why they make a big deal about it, I don't know. The only the only difference is you're putting your showcase guys on at a later time, which is when more people tune in. In that aspect, it makes sense. And they originally had Velasquez on as the before the bell fighter. He was on the before the bell segment, and they moved things around to get him on the main card because they were so high on him, and he had himself a tough time. It was a good test for him, but at the end of the day, the veteran of over 40 fights, Rosales, got himself a big win. Gonzalez was in there with Julio Cesar Martinez. He had a lot of uh, you know big fights, a lot of rounds, a lot of experience. Experience. And now he gets himself in a position where he can get another big fight, possibly a title eliminator. Right? This is why even now boxing is still great. I mean, a, guy, a, a veteran upsets an undefeated prospect, someone everybody was very high on. And hardly anybody is talking about it other than the real diehard guys. Probably most people don't even know don't even know what the heck I'm talking about. People tuning into the show might know what I'm talking about because that's that's their thing. But the, the people at my job, regular people on the street, they're not going to know about this. And it is a great sports story. Co-feature was another close fight. Julio Cesar Martinez wins a majority decision over Samuel Carmona for the WBC World Flyweight title. Uh, Martinez bounces back after getting pretty dominated by Chocolatito in his last fight. Uh, Look for him to get another fight at the top of the bill. Maybe not a main event, but certainly a co-feature. The the title certainly uh, brings a lot of opportunities his way. And uh, and another guy who is nothing but good for the sport. And two guys at the top of the bill are nothing but good for the sport. As Juan Francisco Estrada faces off with Ramon 
Chocolatito Gonzalez for the third time. The vacant WBC super flyweight title was on the line. And no, it was not the fight of the year that everybody was hoping for. Fight of the year candidate? I don't think so. I think we have a, a, a bunch more fights more worthy. But it was a good fight nonetheless. It was a fight where the Neither fighter disappointed. It was a close fight. It was a surprising fight. It was probably the, the if you were going to rate the three fights, third on the scale of the trilogy, but a great win for Estrada. I had no problem with the decision. It was a majority decision in favor of Estrada. Uh, I wrote down the scorecards. I thought I wrote down the scorecards. Where the heck are they? Oh, well. I know it was a majority decision. I forgot what the uh, scores were in favor of Estrada. Let me see if I can find that real quick. Uh, okay, we have Tim Cheatham, 116, 112, eight rounds to four for Estrada. I think that might have been a little bit far-fetched. Uh, Dennis O'Connell, probably a more accurate scorecard of 115, 113, and Chris Tellez scored at 114 apiece. If it, was, if, if it ended up a draw, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Uh, Gonzalez certainly did. A lot of good things in those uh, middle rounds. He was he was trying. He was actually starting to figure out uh, Estrada a little bit, taking the play away from Estrada a little bit with the aggression. Estrada's game plan was the fight backing up, was to keep Gonzalez at distance, was to use the jab, good counter punching, and that was working out well for him for most of the early rounds. And then Estrada came back and had a good 12th round. I think to really see, seal the deal, and and it's very strange how you talk about these things with the the scorecards and, and such like that because one sixteen one twelve sounds to me like it's a little bit far fetched and sounds like a much wider scorecard than one fifteen one thirteen, but they, they're relatively close to each other in, in terms of the numbers, right? But eight rounds to four. Sounds like it's a much more convincing victory than seven rounds to five. That one round makes a huge difference. And to suggest that Chocolatito only won four rounds in that fight, to me, sounds crazy. Where at the same time, if you think he won five rounds, I could buy it. I could even buy saying he won six rounds. Seven rounds? Probably not. So it's a fight that lingers somewhere in that area. But Chocolatito with the big uh, comeback in the middle of the fight and the way both fighters went out with their pride and their respect doesn't really do much in terms of damage for Chocolatito. In terms of legacy, the guy is one of the all-time greats. He is definitely a future Hall of Famer. And, And Estrada is certainly on his way there as well. Some people might think that Estrada's already done enough to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. I don't know. And what's next? 
at these lower weights, we have a lot of delicious opportunities as well. Uh, I mean, the possibilities that they throw at you make you salivate, right? Estrada versus Bam Rodriguez. How do you not salivate over that? Estrada versus the monster who's fighting uh, next week. How do you not salivate over that? Even a fourth fight with Gonzalez would not be something that I would be like, oh, are you kidding me? I don't want to see that. Now, would that be my first choice? Definitely not. But it's not something I could say will um, be something I I would not invest my time in. I would certainly invest my time in it. So another really good weekend of boxing. And hopefully, I haven't had the time to really look on social media. Hopefully, social media is giving its due. Because you, you, you see these wonderful things, and all you still see is still people pissing and moaning about fights that they don't get. And yeah, to some degree, I get it. But when are we going to pay attention to what's actually happening and give credit to what's actually happening? Right? I mean, I can make the argument that if you don't invest your time to watch something like Glanton and Light on Pro Box TV, and you don't just show up for the main event on that zone or the main event on ESPN Plus, then maybe you are part of the problem. Maybe you don't deserve the big fight. You're certainly not a hardcore fan. Welcome to the world of being a casual. If you did not wait, if you did not invest your time other than monetary reasons, I can understand for people who can't afford it. There are some people who are so uh, bad off, even the small price tag for a year, yearly subscription to ProBox TV may buy out of their means. I get it. But if you're not one of those people and you're not investing your time and money in watching this stuff, you're the last person that should be talking about casuals. You're the last person that should be talking about how boxing is dead. You're the last person to be saying, talking about how nobody fights each other anymore. Right? You want me to listen to you? When you didn't even take time to watch Velasquez versus Rosales? Are you out of your fucking mind? I think so, Tiafimo Sr. I think so. Coming up shortly, Liana Cruz is supposed to be calling in in about 10 minutes. Uh, we'll do this date in boxing history after the interview. I'm going to take a sip of water now before we continue. And we have another interesting boxing weekend coming up. Certainly a lot of cards. We even have some kind of a pay-per-view with Manny Pacquiao and D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-D-K-
And that's not the only pay-per-view of the weekend. Unfortunately, we have Crawford versus Avid Essen on a, in a pay-per-view. No thank you on that one. After I just chastise everybody for not investing their time in boxing, I'm telling you all, there's no way I'm wasting my time watching Crawford Avid Essen. But, you know, that, that, to me, that's a little different. I mean, to me, you got to be a moron to want to buy that. I mean, unless you're like this uh, huge Terrence Crawford fan and have to see everything that Terrence Crawford does. And there are people out there like that. And to a certain degree, I, I could understand it. He is a wonderful fighter, one of the best fighters I've ever seen. No doubt about it. But I don't love him enough to condone this nonsense. Uh, and then you got the, so, but rest assured, it's not just all about pay-per-view. Dazone, all on December 10th, uh, Dazone, you got Josh Warrington versus Luis Alberto Lopez for the IBF featherweight title. And, uh, and I, once again, I think we're going to get a good undercard. And then on ESPN Plus is showing you two different cards from two different locations. Uh, the main event on one is Michael Conlon versus Kareem Jufri, I always get these names wrong. Uh, that's a featherweight. No title on the line. Featherweight fight. Uh, Conlon, I still think, is in the, was in the fight of the year against Lee Wood. And then you have uh, at Madison Square Garden, Teofimo Lopez versus Sander Martin at the top. That's an unfortunate fight, but that's a replacement fight, so I guess you got to live with it. I was not in love with Lopez versus uh, Pedraza either. I didn't think that was the greatest fight in the world. Are you out of your fucking mind? Uh, well, uh, I'm sorry, Teofimo Sr. I love Teofimo Jr. I love watching him fight, but I, I think he's doing himself an injustice. I mean, uh, these are prime years where he could be getting really big super mega fights. Jose Pedraza, the sniper, was on, way on the other side, and that had a decent chance of being at least a good fight. I'm not sure what to expect with Sander San Martin. He better win this fight and better win it convincingly, the, the Heisman Trophy fight, if you will, and hopefully we'll see him in uh, bigger and big, better fights at 140 after he gets past this. But this has got to be the last of these kinds of fights for Lopez. I mean, some of it's not his fault, the pandemic, then the delays with the Combosis fight. But, you know, since he defeated Loma, we've seen very little of him. And those are prime years where he could have been really making money for himself making a name for himself, adding to his leg legacy, which does appear to be important to him. He's done none of that since the Lomachenko fight, and most of it is due to inactivity. And now he's wasting his time with the Sander Martin. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to tune in and watch. I, I'm a fan of Lopez, but that doesn't mean I can't be critical. I do find the undercard of this ESPN was uh, very interesting. Jared Anderson versus Jerry Slugger Forrest. A little bit of a step up for the heavyweight prospect. Anderson Forrest will, uh, definitely uh, presents as an opportunity to extend, as an opportunity to make things a little difficult. 
as an opportunity to be a headache. That's the kind of fighter Jerry Slugger Forrest is. So we'll see how Jared Anderson handles him. And then you got uh, Keyshawn Davis facing, I think that fight is still on, Juan Carlo Burgos. And uh, Burgos has been around forever. He knows every trick in the book. Dying to see what he does against a young upstart like Davis. And also on Friday, let me pull this up. We have Shenard Bunch taking on Henry Lundy. Now that one, if you want to see that one, you got to do a little bit more work. I had Nadal Muhammad on and he gave me the information of where you could see it. I'm pulling it up now. If you go to on Friday night, if you go to Fight Night Live on on Flow Com, Combat, F L O Combat, the main I don't know what else is on the card yet, but the main event is definitely worth looking at. Shenard Bunch against Henry Hank Lundy, and that's on Friday night. So plenty plenty to sink our teeth into. I'm going to take a quick break, and hopefully we'll be back with Liana Cruz right after this.
Teofimo Lopez, The Takeover, and you are now listening to Zoot's Boxing Talk. All righty, we are back with Zoot's Boxing Talk, the boxing show where we bring you sweet science straight up with no twist. And if you are a fan of the show, you can look for it on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can get your podcast, become a subscriber, uh, go to Zoot's Boxing Talk on Facebook like that. Check out topclassboxing.co.uk for all your boxing fixes. Shout out to Paul Daly. And if you're interested in reading a boxing book for the holiday season, a boxing book that has the contributions of Don King, Chris Calvin, the late Pernell Whitaker, Freddie Roach, many, many others, and the man himself, Greg Haugen, tough man, the Greg Haugen story. You get it on Amazon, many other outlets for books. We're still waiting for Liana Cruz to call in. We'll hang out for a few to see if she is going to call in, and I will inquire uh, about that as we are talking. Uh, And I think this is Liana Cruz right now, so I don't have to inquire about anything. So my next guest is a professional fighter. With a professional record of three and zero, welcome to the show. The first time, Miss Liana Cruz. How are you doing tonight? I'm well. How are you? I am great. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking the time and talking to us. Absolutely, I'm honored to be here. All righty. So, first of all, I might. This is not a bar, but I might have to check your ID. You sound very, you sound like you're about 12. Do I really? <laughs> you sound very young, yes. Oh my gosh, no, I'm 25. <laughs> All right, I mean, I've seen you fight, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. I was just messing with you a little bit. So let's talk a little <laughs> bit about the, the origin of Liana Cruz, the boxer. How did it all start? So um, I actually have been fighting like my whole life um but I've only been boxing for three years so um I grew up in uh Whitehall but my family had a I have a lot of family in Allentown and that's very um urban that's like the urban area from where I'm around and um I would stay there and I have part of my family is actually like they're involved in like the gang life and everything like that so I've seen a lot of things like growing up um, and I've fought a numerous amount of times growing up just over, like, stupid stuff, you know, when you're young. You could fight over somebody saying something like, your mom, you know? So um, I've been a fighter my whole life, but I got into boxing because 
I beat a girl up at a bar, and um, two weeks later, I stepped into a gym, and that's really how it went. So talk a little bit about that dynamic, right, for people who don't do it. We always hear it. Just because you're a good fighter in the street and you could beat somebody up in the bar, you have no clue what it takes to do it, lacing up the gloves and doing it in the sport of boxing. So speak on that and speak on your experience of that. Right. You're absolutely right. A lot of people underestimate um, what a lot of fighters actually do, whether it's in training or in uh, in the, the ring specifically. Um, so when I actually first started, I um, I have a little boy named Xavier Oquendo, who I've been training with for three years now. And I met him when he was nine years old. Um, and he actually used to beat the shit out of me. So for a nine-year-old, to um, beat me up, who's been, he has been training, I believe, since he was five. Um, so for a nine-year-old, and I started at 20, 21, um, for a nine-year-old to beat me up, that was very, like, that was a very humbling experience. And, like, you don't really know how much um, people do in the gym to even just go into the ring. So a lot of people think that, you know, if you're tough in the streets or, like, you're involved in that gang life, you can fight anybody, but the reality of it is boxers and fighters can fight for a very long time. People that don't train or anything, um, you're going to have your adrenaline give you a good minute for energy, and then you, you crash. So um, it, there's, a, there's a big difference as far as, like, street fighting and, and boxing specifically. Um, but the one thing that I'll give it is, because of my background of street fighting, it gave me a lot of heart where, like, you'll never see me give up or you'll never see anybody just bully me. All righty. Thank you for that. And the uh, on the surface, the scientific way to deliver punches, the way to slip punches, defense, how to deal with holding, all of that stuff aside, which you have to deal with, the big thing, and you alluded to it already, is stamina, being able to last, yeah. where you fight for 30 seconds and think you fought for five hours. How do you learn how to build stamina? So um, for me, I've actually been an all-year-round athlete my entire life. So I, um, I've played, like, almost every single sport. Um, I was a varsity soccer player, varsity basketball player, um, and I even went to States and I hold a record at my high school for track. Um, so, and I ran cross country, I did swimming. Um, there wasn't a lot that I wasn't really capable of doing. So for me, stamina was kind of already built in me. Um, the endurance part of boxing that's different is like the breathing. So that's the only thing where you really have to condition yourself on like how to breathe with your punches and your movement and like pacing yourself. So what I normally do is, um, I run at least like five times a week at a minimum. Um, when I'm in when I'm in camp camp, I run every day, and sometimes three three days out of the week, I run twice a day, um, just to prepare myself and my my heart and my legs and my body for whenever I do step in that ring. So I know that my body's prepared for war. And. Uh... Doing my research, I, I saw in some other interviews you talked about how 
you spar with bigger women and grown men. Uh, talk about that whole ordeal and how that helps build you as a fighter. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, like I said, from the from my background and like who I who I grew up around and you know who my family are like um, the heart was always in me. So I'll get in the ring with anybody, no matter like how big or small you are. Um, but more specifically, I'm the only girl like in my gym and I'm actually the smallest one in my, well, now I'm the smallest one because the four, the kid that I told you about earlier, smoke, well, Xavier, he, um, he is now my weight. So other than that, I'm really, I'm really now the smallest girl the smallest person in my gym and when I get sparring and stuff I can count on one hand how many people I've sparred that are my weight um and I actually really like it a lot more because if I can handle that kind of intensity and you know that size I'm not going to have any issues with women that are my uh my size Where and you fight uh, so far, you've been weighing in anywhere between uh, 113, 114, 115 in that area. The, the the pluses of that kind of sparring is obvious. Is there any negatives to fighting uh, men and women much bigger and then having to get in the ring with somebody your own size and weight? Have you found oh, anything to be problematic about it? If so, what? Absolutely. There's um, there's definitely some some cons to it. Just like everything else, there's pros and cons. But um, I, I do believe the pros outweigh the cons. But, you know, sometimes um, I know that I have power. And um, when I do spar, like, some men, um, it's very easy for them to get their egos broken if I do hit them with a big shot. And some of them will retaliate, like, back by hitting me harder. Um, and, I mean, regardless, I'm prepared for it. But I, I have been, like, I've been put down by guys. And I haven't been put down by a woman. So um, some guys, you know, their egos will get a little hurt if I hit them with a good shot or a clean shot, and uh, some cons are just kind of taking a big shot from them. Um, but that also helps me stay on my toes and, and be a smart fighter, not a tough fighter. Is there any negatives in terms of matching up with some? If you're so used to fighting somebody who's bigger, taller, and stronger than you, is there there any negatives when you get in there with somebody more on your on your size and speed? Have you have you noticed anything negative about that when competing in, in the professional fight? Oh no, not at all. I don't think I really don't. I think because of you know the way I train, who I'm training with, um, you know the people I. I get in the ring with, um, because they're a lot bigger, my fights are pretty, I don't want to say easy, um, but I'm a lot more calm, um, because for my size, I'm, I'm actually a, a bigger girl, but my, the second, my second fight, the girl that I fought, um, she was like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, and I'm only 5'4", um, so that really wasn't anything new for me, and I wasn't intimidated by her size at all, but, um, I, I don't really mind, what kind of person or bodies in front of me, um, as long as they can give me some solid work. All righty. Now, uh, I, there's not that much footage on, on you, but what I've seen looks like you got a strong right hand. You could counter, uh, but you have no problem taking the lead. You like you, you, you like to lead. You have fast hands. You throw a nice left to the body. Uh, you have a nice uh, right uppercut uh, and. Uh, 
you even in the first fight that's the only fight that I've seen on YouTube of your professional fights you even did some nice work with a right to the body uh, tell us a little give us a little scouting report on yourself including what you might think your weaknesses or what you need to improve on at this time well I, I would definitely say that um, my my style is, I have an athletic style um, I, I don't really have uh, I don't fit one gear, and I can kind of do whatever is presented in front of me. Um, my coaches don't really um, have me focus on anything specifically. They just kind of keep me as a well-rounded fighter. Um, so one thing that I know that I definitely have to work on is just not dropping my left hand. Uh, in my last fight, I got hit with a lot of, like, dumb shots that I really wouldn't have gotten um, hit with had I been defensively responsible. But that also – can happen with like fatigue and like your anxiety and everything from the fight. Um, so that's something that we're working on right now, but I truly think that one of my best punches is uh, my jab and my left hook to the body. Um, I think my first stoppage when I do get a stop is going to be a body shot. I don't really see, I've, I've dropped girls to the body in sparring. So I can only imagine when I have eight ounce gloves on what's going to happen to them too, when I get a clean shot. Um, I want to say too, like I don't have a lot of film because I don't have any amateur fights. So right, right. I've really only been training for like three years, and I mean, there's only like highlights from my last fight. They don't even have the whole thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, but you would never know that you didn't have an amateur pedigree watching the way you fight, even in the minimal footage that I've seen. Well, thank you. I appreciate that observation. Um. Yeah, I mean, I work really, really hard, and um, I, I'm very grateful um, to be blessed with the athletic ability to even just adapt to the environment that I'm in. And I'm a very visual learner, and, you know, I'm really willing to put um, the effort in to be the best. And I've um, I've dedicated myself, which is, is why I, I look the way I look in the ring. Now, let's talk a little bit about who is in your corner the ultimate team sport is boxing in the sense where no matter how many times you go in that ring by yourself and do what you're supposed to do, if you are not handled properly, it could all come crashing down. Talk a little bit about your team and what they have done for you. You're absolutely right about that. A lot of people see this as like, don't get me wrong, boxing is the loneliest sport um, because nobody is really always with you when you got to put the hard work in. Um, but you know, I am blessed with a, a great team and I truly, truly believe that I have the best team in the world. Um, you know, my head coach is Dave Hamilton. He was actually a former pro and sparring partner of B-Hop. So, um, he is the head coach. He's trained me almost the entire time that I've been, um, with boxing. I started with him, left him for a little, came back with him. And I think it was the best decision, um, and I, I love the relationship I have with my coach. He has taught me so much, and he pushes me past my limits. And that's something that is very vital in this sport because you never – there can't be a limit that you have in your mind. Like, you always are going to have to go past it. And sometimes when I feel like I'm done, my coach will put it in my head that I'm not done and I can keep going. And I've gotten that from my coach. Now my um, my second head coach – well, the second in command is um, Khalif Wallington. I actually um, added him to my team, I want to say, uh, 
October 2021. So it just, it's a little past a year that he's been working with me. And, um, you know, his style and, and my head coach Dave's style are very different. Um, my head coach is, he likes the boxing, the in and out, like the Muhammad Ali and Sugar Ray, um, Sugar Ray Leonard. While my, uh, my second head coach, he's really about, you know, being a dog, like, um, Benavidez walking people down and, and Mayweather walking them into a shot. So he has helped me a lot with um, getting my IQ and my eyes a lot better and the placement of my shots. He's, he really holds like uh, the mitts for me. So he gets me to do the work where Dave actually just watches me do the work and he will tell me what I'm doing wrong and he'll see it better than anyone else. Now, now the third person I have in. Right. I'm sorry. I thought you were done. Good. It's okay. Uh, the third person I have in my corner is Brian Cullen. He's my cut man and my manager. Um, he actually is one of the, um, I want to say one of the biggest names when it comes to women's boxing, uh, just the game in general. He has so much experience. Um, he's been in so many world champion uh, corners, and he's a former pro boxer himself. So he knows the game better than anyone. He um, – my career is really in his hands when it comes to how we're moving. And I think he's doing an amazing job with that. And then my two coaches that are with me in the gym, I think they're doing an amazing job at getting me ready for whoever's in front of me. Now, some of the old timers might think I am committing a sin here, but uh, the way you describe your two cornermen, it kind of like you, Correct me if I'm wrong. It equates to the Lou Duva Georgie Benton combination. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that's a fair uh, comparison? I do. Definitely do. Now, you've had three pro fights, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about the venues that you've participated in because you've already seen a lot of great. Stuff. I mean, the Philadelphia, the the Fillmore in Philadelphia. I haven't not been able to get there in person, but I've seen it. It looks luxurious. I can't imagine what it's like fighting there. And the 2300 Arena, also in Philadelphia, takes a back step to nothing, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, talk a little bit about the experiences of fighting there. I mean, three pro fights, and you've already been in the high profile setting. Yeah, so I want to say the first fight um, was at the 2300 Arena. It was under Marshall Coffin's card. Um, I had no idea really what to expect, and I had no idea how historical that venue really was until I looked at, like, you know, who's fought there before. And um, one of my favorite fighters um, fought there really often, and that made me feel, like, really, really confident in, you know, making the right steps towards – the end goal of being a world champion. Uh, what fighter? And then my second fight. Before you continue, Jerron what fighter? Dennis. Oh, okay. I can see why. Yeah, he's, he's my favorite, favorite fighter. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> so then the second fight was at uh, Wind Creek Casino, which is actually like 10 minutes from me. So that was in my hometown. And that fight was probably the most nerve-wracking fight because I had a lot of people come out just for me. Right. Um, so that one was pretty cool too, but honestly, my favorite fight was the the fav- my favorite venue was from my last fight, the Fillmore. 
I've right. actually went to four concerts at the Fillmore. So then fighting there too, I was like, oh my God, I've seen some of my favorite artists perform here and now I'm performing here. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. And I think it was the nicest venue that I've actually fought at. Yeah, the, the Wind Creek uh, I'm not that familiar with, but the Fillmore uh, looks like it looks like an amazing experience. Uh, uh, thank you for for sharing that. And that last fight was in September. That is the fight that uh, you can see on YouTube against Lillian Almarez. Uh, that that was a fight where you, you put a lot of good punches together, and as you said. Towards the end of the fight, you got clipped with a pretty big right hand from le- getting lazy with that left. Uh, describe, yep. I mean, it looked like it hurt, uh, how, and you looked like you took it well, but describe uh, the effects of it. No, I'll be honest with you. Um, I haven't been stunned in a fight yet. Um, you know, the hardest shot that Lillian had hit me with was actually on my shoulder. Um, I had nothing on my face. I didn't feel, I didn't have a headache or anything the following day, but the only thing I had was like a, um, um, like a bump on my shoulder that like came out, like if it was like a golf ball. And that actually wasn't even from that shot. It was from a hook that she threw while I threw a jab and she missed my head and hit my shoulder and that punch, that really hurt. And I felt that for days, but, um, any other shot she really caught me with, I didn't really feel it. All righty. Now, prior to that fight, you said in an interview that you thought that you were planning on fighting in September and you were planning on fighting a, a six-rounder, and that fight was only a four-rounder. Uh, what happened there? Why, why did you not get the six-round fight you were looking forward to? So um, I was supposed to fight – after this year in March, I was supposed to fight, I believe, in July or June. And um, since that fight fell through, um, I had to have another four-rounder before I could move up to six rounds. Um, so I was supposed to fight, had that fight in the summer gone through, I would have fought in September. And September either would have been maybe one more four-rounder or a six-rounder. Um, it would have just depended on how I looked in the summer. But I do know now that um, we're looking at another four-rounder, I believe, um, just to keep getting the experience for this next fight in February. All righty. Now, primarily in the female boxing game, you fight two-minute rounds. There are exceptions where there has been three-minute round professional fights, but it's few and far between, I'm assuming all of your pro fights have been two-minute rounds, correct? Or, or did you? Yeah, unfortunately, they have. Now, you, you, your your voice patterns say it all. Very, very disappointing. I mean, uh, you obviously don't spar three-minute rounds, right? Uh, and you talked about the desire to get stoppages, and it's much harder to get stoppages in a two-minute stanza than 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 a three-minute stanza. So. Your voice, the tone of your voice was a little frustrating, so speak on that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, um, women, women are strong, you know, um, and in, in the fight game, what fans want to see are knockouts. Fans want to see knockdowns. They want to see people getting punched hard. And 
because of how much strength women, you know, have, I mean, we carry a baby for nine months and we push it out. We can, t- they can take a lot of, uh, of punishment, um, you know, so having that, that two minutes and since I'm only fighting four, four rounds, that's only eight minutes of boxing. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's really hard to get a woman out of there in eight minutes or less. Um, now, I don't even spar three-minute rounds unless we're um, we're at another gym, but I like to spar four-minute rounds. So I actually only train four-minute rounds. So I'm I'm very equipped and ready for the three-minute rounds, like when the time does come. Um, but I I don't think it's right for women to only fight two minutes while the men get um, three-minute rounds. Um, but I also don't think that women should be fighting three-minute rounds and not given, not being able to have the same exact opportunities as the men, where when it, whether it comes to money or um, the uh, exposure. Exactly, yes. And I, I talked to some female boxers uh, in the past about that, and they, they said the same exact thing. Heather Hardy, uh, Alicia Ashley, who just got uh, inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame, it as well. It's like, yo, I would love to fight the three minute rounds, but you better be paying us the same way. So do you think mm-hmm. the reluctance of opening the checkbooks more comes into play as to why it seems to be so resistant for women to fight three minute rounds? Do you think part of the problem is they don't want to pay? I honestly think part of the problem is that some women don't want to do the three minute rounds. Some women are really okay with the two minute rounds, but those same women that are okay with the two minute rounds aren't the women that are going to be world champions. You know what I mean? Like three minutes Mm -hmm. is a lot Mm -hmm. harder than fighting a two minute round. So if you're as a woman, you're sitting there saying you don't want to, you don't want to fight three minute rounds. That just means you're not a hard worker to me. Right. Right. You you present that. I mean, I think, I think honestly women just, some women don't want to put the extra work in because it's been two minute rounds the entire time the sport has been alive for women it's never been more and i want to say maybe within the last like five years they're starting to implement some three minute rounds for some fights for women but um i i want to fight i'd rather fight a three minute round than a two minute round any day of the week all righty hopefully we get to see it regardless the sport of Female boxing has never been higher, has never been more competitive, has never been more high profile, right? What are what some of the fights and fighters that stand out for you as far as your peers go? Well, um, I want to say, you know, I, I could be a little biased because I'm Puerto Rican, but Amanda Serrano is my idol. I absolutely adore her. Um, I love, you know, her attitude towards the sport, towards women. She got robbed and, in that um, Katie Taylor fight, did she not? Didn't she get robbed in the Oh, yeah, Katie no, she, she did. I had her winning by a round, and I did it round by round. So the way I saw it, I saw Amanda winning, but I would have also been okay with a draw. Because who doesn't want to see that fight again? And I, I thought she won uh, by at least two or three rounds, so I got a little wider than you. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not yeah, going to argue with you. I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah, everybody, <laughs> the thing is with boxing, boxing, um, 
it's a very, the perspective ranges, you know, because some judges are looking for who's, who's backing who up, and they'll say that's ring control, whereas you don't have to get touched by the person that's coming forward at you, and they can miss a bunch of punches, and some, another judge is going to say that's ring, uh, ring control. So my thing when it comes to, like, judging and everything, everybody has a different set of eyes on the way they're seeing fights and, like, what exactly they're looking for that counts to the win. Right, and and so far in your young career, you haven't lost many rounds yet. You haven't had that experience. You've been pretty dominant on the scorecard, so that's good. But continue what yeah. you were saying about Amanda. I didn't want to cut you off. Go ahead. It's okay. Um, Amanda's my number one, um, my number one like fighter in the world. Um, like I said, what she what she brings to the sport, her attitude, and then you know the way she fights. Like I I just love it. I look up to her so much. Um, the next person I really look up to is Clarissa Shields. You know, she opened a big, uh, a big way for women as far as, you know, being confident and being vocal in this sport. It, w- it took a lot for women to even just talk about who they are and, and have the confidence that she does. And I really admire her for that. Um, and then I also really, really admire Alicia Baumgartner. Um, you know, she worked her ass off for that, that title. And, um, she's been working her ass off. I've looked up to Alicia since I started boxing and I've actually seen the growth like firsthand as far as like the training videos that she shares. And, um, I've even had the privilege of, um, watching some of her sparring on YouTube. So watching her growth and like who she is now and the fighter that she is now, it's, it's really amazing. And it just goes to show, you know, you put the effort, you get the results. Uh, next up is probably Sinisa Estrada. Um, my style is very, very, very similar to hers. Um, and we're, I've actually been implementing switch switching for the past like six months. So soon you guys are going to start seeing me fight a lot more like her. Um, but she, I think it's going to be an honor when I do get the chance to fight her. Cause I know I'm, I'm going to have to if I really want the legacy that I, I'm trying to create. I know I'm going to have to see her one day, and I, it's going to be such an honor. Um, but she, the way she fights and her IQ and her volume, I admire it. And um, I love what she stands for when it comes to, like, little girls and, and using her voice and her platform. Excellent. Now, have you been able to meet any of those fighters? Um, I actually talk. Who did I meet? I met Sinisa Estrada on Instagram. Um, She actually followed me and congratulated me on my win from my pro debut. Um, Her dad follows me. Her dad talks to me sometimes, but it's like more of like, oh, congratulations, like little stuff like that on the milestones. I've met Clarissa Shields, and it was so crazy because after – um, I met her, I want to say maybe six months or a year into boxing. And she actually remembered who I was just because when I met her, I started, it, I had like, I was like choking on my words because I was so starstruck and I don't normally get like that, but I was like, Oh my God, my idol is like right in front of me. Um, so I got to meet her and she's actually seen some of my film and she gave me some advice. And I want to say after my pro debut, um, she followed me on Instagram and, and we've been in contact like ever since and just like little things that she'll say like congratulations champ and like keep working 
she's uh she's noticed my growth because she's seen me right when I started. Yeah, and uh, you know, from her days in the Olympics to the, all of her pro fights, you, you see the growth, you see the hard work, you see the dedication, and you see the unbelievable skills. So it's a great person to look up to, and great that they reach out to you. Sometimes you, you get people, and I ain't got no time for you. But uh, yeah, no, Amanda Serrano. <laughs> I bought a hoodie from her, and she she knew that it was from that it was going to me. And she ended up giving me like a like a a printed picture with her um, signature on it. She gave it. She put to Leanna. So I've spoken to her like a few times on Instagram as well. Um, but that like that, I haven't really gotten the chance to meet her. But I feel like I'm going to do the same thing that I did with Clarissa, which is like just choke up and I might even cry. <laughs> now there's something else on uh, YouTube with you. Something called rough and rowdy where you put somebody that they were dubbing a, as the, the cheerleader or, or something, not a professional <laughs> boxing match, but you were wearing gloves. Nonetheless, you're, you're laughing. Uh, first of all, uh, did, did you ever watch it? Because they were refer- referring to you as Dominican. Uh, and yep, it was just I a did. very interesting thing. So talk a little bit about it to describe what that laugh is all about. So um, uh, I want to say, so, I know I told you I started boxing three years ago. Um, three months into the into just training, um, I had a friend tag me on Instagram about this rough and rowdy on, like, who would fight in New England, well, Rhode Island. And um, she tagged me, and she was like, dude, you should do it. And I saw who I was fighting, and it was just going to be, like, another girl. And like I said, since I come from a street background, like, the heart is always going to be there. But since I was training this time, I was like – why not, like, try it? So I sent in an application through, like, Barstool, and um, they wanted me to fight her because I was – they told me they picked me because I was pretty, which I, that's a compliment, like, thanks. So they were just trying to see two pretty girls go at it. Um, right. And it was more for, like, entertainment. So Rough and Rowdy's through, like, Barstool, and they have, like, these little events where sometimes they'll have, like, midgets even fighting. So – it was one of those kind of like um, events that they had put together. And when I signed up for it, um, it was 10 days before the the fight date. So I turn over to my boyfriend and I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to like really try and get this, like try and fight this girl. And he was like, oh, okay. And like laughed and went to sleep. And then the next day they called me back and um, I went and I went to Rhode Island and, you know, I fought the girl. And I think it was really weird that they were calling me Dominican because if you watch the weigh-in, um, I'm wearing a Puerto Rico flag on my head. <laughs> right, right. That's so what I'm watching. I was, I'm like, what the heck is going on here? But <laughs> yeah, well, when I when I went back and I watched it and I heard them call me Dominican, I was like, dude, that's kind of like ignorant considering I literally had a Puerto Rico flag on my head. Indeed, indeed. Uh, now, you, you talked about all the, the, the female boxers. Uh, were you a fan of boxing in general growing up, watching it uh, on uh, television? And if so, what some of the men fighters uh, that you admire, especially from Philadelphia? Yeah, you had to have some kind of boxing uh, in those living rooms. 
you're going to be surprised. I actually never watched a boxing match before I started boxing. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I never watched I, I a boxing match. What about yeah, now? Do you, I, do you watch now? Do you watch the men now? I don't even watch TV anymore. That's all I watch is boxing. <laughs> all right. All right. Do you go back so and watch old footage? I used to just footage? watch. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love old fights more than I like um, some new fighters now. Um, the way, like, old school boxing, and I never used to believe it when I would hear it at the gym. Um, you know, the styles are just way different, and, you know, they used to really go at it. But, I mean, we also have a lot more knowledge on the sport and, you know, how getting hit in the face and taking body shots and all that, how that really affects your body just over time. So I also think that's another reason why the style has, like, altered so much. Um but I know that my dad and my uncle went to, um, like, every time Miguel Cotto fought in Madison Square Garden, they were there. But I never really tuned in to, to watch any fights. I would actually watch basketball. I was a big basketball player. All righty, 76ers fan. Uh, did you come over to my side and become a Knicks fan? Neither. I was um, an OKC fan. Oh, wow. Kevin Durant days? I was a huge Kevin Durant fan. Uh Um, I was a big Russell Westbrook and um, Kevin Durant fan, but Uh once KD went to Golden State, I couldn't respect them anymore. They they had the original trifecta with Harden, Westbrook, and Durant. They didn't know what to Mm -hmm. do with it. But anyway, uh, so talk a little bit. You already alluded to the fact you're looking to get into the ring. I think you said in February. Uh, talk about the plans for that. What do you know? What are you working on? And uh, how do you stay busy? You know, it's still a couple of months away, and you last forward in September. What do you do to keep yourself busy in the meantime? So after my last fight in September, um, because, you know, I didn't get uh, injured or anything, um, I was in the gym a week later, so I I took only, like, I want to say nine days off out of the gym, and um, my coach wanted me to take, like, a, like, two weeks off, but I just, I couldn't not be in the gym. I wouldn't know what to do with myself, so I got right back into the gym, and I've honestly been in the gym ever since, and I was supposed to fight in November, um, but then once that had gotten canceled, I took maybe, like, three more days off in the gym. And then ever since then, I've just been back to training, um, running like four times a week, just staying in shape in case, you know, if there's ever an opportunity um, that can just come by, you know, so I'm ready. So I normally walk around at like 1.30. um, But right now, because of, you know, anything could pop up, um, I'm only walking around at um, like 1.22. So just to keep myself in shape and make sure that if I do have to cut weight, I'm not going to have to cut too much. Um, Now I know I should be fighting at least three times next year. I know they already have February lined up for me to get me in the ring. And then I do believe that they are going to get me in the ring in March as well. Any other specifics that you know about for February? So February – I believe it's going to be in Philly again, but I know that my my promoter, Manny, is working on getting me 
a fight down here in Allentown. Um, and I think that would be amazing for me um, because I have – my city loves me. My city calls me, you know, the hometown hero. And um, mm-hmm. they love what I do. And, you know, um, I'm just starting to give back to the kids and everything like that now because I have more of a name for myself. And that's a big passion of mine. Like, I love kids, and the youth is our future. So I, I really do believe in giving them someone to look up to and – I always wanted to be the person that I needed when I was younger. So now that I'm I'm able to do so, I I do it all the time and as as much as I can. All righty, great stuff there. Last question I have for you: There, so many uh, boxers that I that I talk to and come on this show have to have a job besides training for the fight. Sometimes more than one job. Do you have to work on uh, as well as? Uh, getting ready to be a professional fighter? So I've actually been, I haven't been working since July this year. Um, Thank God I am blessed with uh, a support system from my father and, you know, my sponsors where I can get monthly stipends, um, you know, so that I can keep training and that's all I have to worry about. But I do have another job, um, but I actually get to pick when I work. So I work at, um, I work for the vodka company Tito's and I'm a brand ambassador. So whenever Tito's has like an event going on, um, Mm. I just work for them. All right. Super. Excellent to hear that you can focus most of your time on uh, a sport that is so difficult to master. And we thank you for coming on the show. Liana Cruz will definitely look for you in uh, February. Now it's time for final thoughts, comments, shout-outs, any social media you want to plug. Now it's the time. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate you. And for everybody listening, uh, my name is Liana Cruz. You can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is at Leanna Cruz, just with two U's, and that's all my social media. That's how you can find me. Um, shout out Lehigh Valley. Shout out ABE. Shout out my best friend, Natalie. I love you. And shout out Showstoppers Boxing Gym. All righty. Thank you for coming on. You have a great rest of your evening. You too. Thank you so much. All righty. My pleasure. All right, so there you have it. So uh, we'll definitely look for uh, Liana to come on uh, in uh, February, hopefully in, in a situation that we could see at least on YouTube. Uh, hopefully she gets the, the fight in front of the hometown. There's nothing uh, like that as well. And uh, if you have not seen her fight, there is some uh, footage on YouTube where you could check her out. And uh looks like she could be a very good one. I, I, I love the left of the body, strong right hand, fast hands, all of that. And uh, definitely excellent head on her shoulders. Thank you for coming on. So let's do this date in boxing history as we close out December 7th, 1948 in the arena in Cleveland, Ohio. Joey Maxim went to split decision over Jimmy Bivens. And in the, in the undercard, Sandy Sadler stops. Eddie Giash in two rounds. Uh, Jerry Fitch in his books, Cleveland's Greatest Fighters in the Cleveland uh, Arena, talk about this fight and this card. And this was uh, a, a card that was, uh, uh, you know, right around the holiday time and it did a lot for the Christmas ones over there in Cleveland. Let's fast forward now to 
December 7, 1963 at the Convention Hall. Joey Giardello wins a 15-round decision over Dick Tiger for the middleweight title. Another battle of a couple of great Hall of Famers. December 7, 1977 at the Silver Slipper in Las Vegas. Marvin Camel stops Carl Zerheide in seven rounds. Carl did not come out for the seventh round. And on the undercard, we saw a light heavyweight battle between Johnny Baldwin and Johnny Townsend. Baldwin beats Townsend in a 10-round decision. If you don't know uh, these two fighters, they're, they're definitely worth investigating and talking about. Baldwin's first loss was to marvelous Marvin Hagler, a fight that had already happened going in to this fight. He also lost decisions to Marvin Johnson and Ayab Kaluli. Uh, Towson fought the likes of Marvin Camel a couple of times, who was in the main event of this fight. Marvin Johnson, Jerry Celestine, Dale Grant, Murray Sutherland, two uh, ambassadors of the sport, so to speak, that unless you're a real the historian or were around at that time, you might not know these guys. And Marvin Camel is always uh, important to this show. And I, I first met Mr. Camel at the Boxing Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, and I eventually got to interview him for this show. Uh, and uh, he also exposed some real sleazy people. And I'll just leave it at that. December 7th, 1984, the Cruiserweight Battle. Henry Tillman makes his pro debut, stopping Uriah Grant in two rounds. Going into the fight, Uriah Grant was 1-0. And then December 7th, 1989, Uno Moss, one more. Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran, Leonard winning a 12-round decision in a pretty dull fight, and a fight that was nothing but a huge disappointment. I mean, even the big Ray Leonard fanboys couldn't have been happy with this one. It was a dull fight. Yeah, their guy won, but who really won, right? And, of course, me going into the fight, after what Duran did to Barkley, I was convinced he was going to get his revenge against Leonard. He was going to uh, beat him up. He was going to win the rubber match. I was going around boasting and telling everybody. I told everybody, right? I I just said that to you, female senior. I told everybody. Well, it was not to be, but this fight is satisfying to me for two reasons. One, Late in the fight, Duran does land a good right hand that opened up Ray's eye. And marvelous Marvin Hagler called this fight with now Hall of Famer Tim Ryan and already Hall of Famer Gil Clancy. And Tim Ryan uh, wrongly, when Duran delivered the right hand, incorrectly said good right hand by Leonard. That's what Tim Ryan said and Hagler quickly corrected him. He said, oh, Duran and Leonard is bleeding. And even though Ray won the fight, I'm not disputing that. If you look at the end of the fight, he was a mess in terms of blood all over his face. It was a beautiful thing to see that son of a bitch looking so poor. 
Sorry, I hate the man. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to hide it. And the other satisfying thing for me with that fight was in between rounds, you hear Leonard, the scumbag, say, the hell with the fans. You had all the, all the Ray Leonard fanboys still talk about him like he walks on water. And overall, this was the opening of the Mirage, right? The Mirage is now an old broken down casino so to speak in las vegas but at the time it was very new and this was the first big boxing event december 7th 1989 and it was a cold night they were just talking about this on the fury chisora card as they were talking about how cold it was there an outdoor fight in december at the o2 arena and they talked about this fight being the coldest fight on record of the big name fights, Larry Merchant saying this was the coldest that he ever felt calling an outdoor boxing match. And maybe that cold air had to do with such a clunker of a card. I mean, listen to this undercard. Ray Mercer won a split eight round split decision over Ossi Ocasio. As Zach Familio would say, that fight was agony. Andrew Maynard won an eight-round decision over Mike DeVito. More agony. Tommy Morrison couldn't put away Ken LaCousta. He won six rounds with Ken LaCousta. All unanimous, all decisions, not all the unanimous. The Mercer was a split decision. There were seven fights on that card and only one, a four-rounder between Sergio Vela and Ricardo Cruz ended in a stoppage. So, Uno Mas, I'm sure everybody, top rank, was a top rank card. I'm sure they made a lot of money. It probably did very well in the pay-per-views. It definitely drew a big gate, but it was a clunker of a card, a clunker of a main event. And that's it for this date in boxing history. Thank you so much, Leanna Cruz, for coming on. We look forward to the boxing this weekend. If you can, catch Shenard Bunch and Lundy on Friday night, Fight Live. And then you got all the stuff. If you if you choose to watch Manny Pacquiao in an exhibition and pay money to see that, if you choose to watch Bud Crawford uh, against Ho-Hum David Avanesson for 40 bucks, you got ESPN Plus, you got Dazone, you got some of the biggest names in boxing, on this weekend we look forward to it we'll be back next week talk about all the action talk about the hall of fame class more in depth and until then keep on punching and i'm not taking any